Hey everyone and welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven, that's my lovely wife Liberty as always. We're a married couple with different interests and we try to bring each other into our hobbies by discussing the latest news in both books and sports. Today is her favorite episode, the book episode. Thank God. <laughs> that was too much happening last week with sports. I really don't feel like it was that bad this this past episode. Like it was It'll a be lot worse of, the next one for sure. Well, I, I don't know because like the NBA is in that weird drought period too. So it's just like we might escape with another short sports episode. And that's the goal every time, folks. <laughs> for you anyways, yes. In this week's book news, we have Prince Harry, the Duke of Sussex, who is going to be releasing a memoir in fall of 2022. It will be with Penguin Random House. There is currently no official title available, but the proceeds from the memoir sales will be donated to charity. I don't know which charity, but charity. Nonetheless. The memoir will cover significant events and moments from Prince Harry's life, including his service in the military, his experiences in, quote, the public eye, and his life as a husband and a father. So if you're into royals, now is really the time for you. Time to shine. Yeah. I'm not one of those, but, you know, it's a thing. (laughs) I always mix up which is which. What do you mean, which is which? Which prince is which. Oh, okay. I always get them confused. There's a lot of them, so that makes sense. In adaptation news, Charlize Theron is joining the final girl support group adaptation. Grady Hendrix's horror novel is becoming a TV show set to depict an L.A. therapy group for six, quote, final girls, or what is known as the sole survivors of the mass murder events that inspired slasher movies of the 80s and the 90s. So, you know, in slasher movies, there's always that final girl that survives, but everyone else dies. Right. It's a support group for them. For the girls that survive? Yeah. That's interesting. And it's a horror, so that means that... Something is going down dealing with these girls in the support group. Yeah. And one thing that's being adapted that I'm not super excited for is the Wheel of Time series. Okay. It's now come out that it's going to be released by Amazon in November of this year. The first poster was recently released. The first book is The Eye of the World. And I pulled the synopsis off of Goodreads, and it makes no sense to me, so I don't know if I'm just really stupid or if it's meant to be slightly confusing. Either way. The Wheel of Time turns and ages come and go, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth, and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth returns again. In the third age, an age of prophecy, The world and time themselves hang in the balance. What was, what will be, and what is may yet fall under the shadow. When the Two Rivers is attacked by Trollocs, a savage tribe of half-men, half-beasts, five villagers flee that night into a world they barely imagined, with new dangers waiting in the shadows and in the light. Yeah, I don't really know what to take from that. There's a lot going on. Something to do with a wheel of time, I'm assuming. And half-men, half-beasts. Well, that's pretty standard for fantasy fair. Well, yeah, but I'm saying that, like, that's that's what you're grasping at, like, just the little things. Yeah. And then a piece of news that I wasn't sure about talking about, but it kind of has to do with books, so I will. Authorities in Hong Kong have arrested the authors of a children's book called Defenders of Sheep Village, 
which is a story that uses animals to explore the politics of a protest movement facing off against an increasingly assertive China. In the book, Big Bad Wolf takes away the sheep's food, destroys their homes, causes general havoc in their town. But no matter how cunning the wolf is, the sheeps defend the village. The sheep are unable to drive the wolf out, but are braver and more unified by the end of the story. In 2020, Hong Kong police imposed Beijing's national security law, which activists say eliminates freedom of speech and the press. The authors of this book have now been charged with sedition. Nice. So. Good old Chinese government. Yeah. How dare you unify? But I wasn't sure about talking about that because that's more politics than books. But it is censorship in a way. So Not only in just a way, definitely 100%. But this last piece of news I thought you would find interesting in particular. I'm usually wrong when I say that, so we'll see. I was going to say, I don't know why I'm so excited because normally it doesn't really go the right way. Renegades, Born in the USA is a bound edition of the Renegades podcast featuring conversations on everything from fame to cars to the country itself between former President Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen. Definitely you missed again. Congratulations. Um, One day I'm going to say you're going to be excited about something and you'll actually be excited about something. Like, I've always only been slightly an Obama supporter just because the other candidate options are usually pretty bad and Springsteen just really was never my cup of tea, I guess. I feel like your dad would have liked him more than you would have. Yeah, maybe. Like, because yep. my dad's kind of just an all-around music nerd, so. But Penguin Random House and Obama's Higher Ground Company announced that Renegades will come out on October 26th. The $50 book Whew. will include rare photographs, handwritten Springsteen lyrics, and annotated Obama speeches. That's pretty intense. That's a, that's an expensive book for that the things that are being listed. Yeah. But as per usual for the last Thursday of the month, the last book episode of the month, the real news is about the upcoming releases for the next month, so August. For the upcoming releases for the month, I've only read one of these already in ARC form, it being The Dating Dare by J.C. Lee. It's book number two in A Sweet Mess, which is a companion series of romances. It has an August 3rd release date. I read it through NetGalley and rated it four stars, which means for me, since it's a romance, that is like top tier. Like, it's really good. So say that usually means it's uh, at the top of the list of your options, which is good. It's good. And this one is about Tara and her best friend's new brother-in-law who play a game of truth, dare, or drink, as we called it on the podcast when we talked about it. And eventually they agree to go on four dates before he leaves for a new job in Europe. But things get complicated as unforeseen circumstances ruin their dates from children to a fall down a ski slope. And their lives start to blur the lines between romance and friendship. Interesting. It was a cute romance, and, like, there's one particular scene that will live in my head forever for free, but... Faux free? Faux free. Oh, man. It's the only one of these books that are coming out that I've already read, but one that also has an August 3rd release date is The Wild Ones by Nafisa Azad. It's a YA fantasy about a group of girls who have been betrayed and who use their magic to help others who are like them. 
I tried to not go too far into that one because the Goodreads synopsis gave away what I thought was too much of the plot, which is just a thing now in publishing, giving up too much of the plot in the synopsis. Well, they're trying to get people more and more hooked, and I think a little deeper hooked than just, it's about a woman on an adventure, blah, 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 type synopsises. To a degree, I can agree with you. At the same time, like, for mysteries, you don't want to go in knowing that this person and this person have a secret bond of some sort and so on. Yeah. So, I don't know. Another August 3rd release, speaking of mysteries, The Dead in the Dark by Courtney Gould. Gould, maybe? This one's a YA mystery slash thriller. In this one, something is wrong in Snakebite, Oregon, where teenagers are disappearing, some turning up dead. And all fingers seem to point to TV's most popular ghost hunters who have just returned to town. Mm. That sounds fun. It reminds me a little bit of V.E. Schwab's um, middle grade series, City of Ghost. I, I would say I know what you're referencing, but I don't. Uh, the Cassidy Blake series where her parents are ghost hunters and she can see ghosts. Ah, yes, that clears that up. It reminds me of that a little bit, not a lot, just the ghost hunting part. Yeah. The last August 3rd release is A Lesson in Vengeance by Victoria Lee. This one has a lot of people buzzing about it. It's a YA mystery slash thriller set at a boarding school that is haunted by its history of witchcraft, and two girls are digging up the past. To me, it seems like it could be dark academia, so that is a really popular like subgenre of YA mysteries. On August 5th, As Good as Dead by Holly Jackson is coming out. It's book number three in A Good Girl's Guide to Murder. It's a YA mystery thriller following Pip Fitzamoby as she dives headfirst into another case. This time, it's all about her as she tries to uncover who the stalker threatening her is. And if Pip doesn't find the answers, this time she'll be the one who disappears. That's an interesting name. I feel like if I had to say that even like two times fast, I'd be dragging just whole words together. It's easy to read, but when I try to say it, it comes out as garbage. Got it. I read the first book in that series and I enjoyed it well enough, I think, but not enough to keep on with the series. I will say this is a lot of people's favorite YA mystery series, so I'm definitely like in the minority of people who have read this and not wanted to continue. Right. One that I am very excited for comes out on August 31st. It's Poison for Breakfast by Lemony Snicket, which as you know is a pen name. This one is literally listed on Goodreads as children's, middle grade, YA, and adult. So who the F knows? A little bit of this, a little bit of that, and I think it means E for everyone. Yeah. Because I don't know. I was going to say that's a really messy set of... Like, age groups. Right. It seems like it's a mystery, possibly a thriller. The story starts when a puzzling note is slid under Snicket's door that reads, You had poison for breakfast. The readers then read along as Snicket follows the clues to unravel the mystery of his own demise. I feel like that's been done one too many times. Like, the, you just ingested poison, now do these things, or... I don't know that I've read that, but I'm sure it's, like, something you would see in movies. Because it seems like a very movie plot device. Definitely a movie plot device, no argument there. But it does remind me of those teacups that I really want. 
that look like a really nice, pretty floral teacup, but then at the bottom of the cup it says you've been poisoned. Right. Makes me think of that. And the last one that I know is going to get a lot of buzz because it's book three in the Kiss Quotient is The Heart Principle by Helen Huang. Comes out the same day, August 31st. It's an adult contemporary romance. In this one, violinist Anna gets burned out when a viral YouTube video creates unmeasurable success. At the same time, her longtime boyfriend decides that he wants an open relationship. If he wants an open relationship, she'll show him an open relationship. (laughs) Next up comes a string of one-night stands, one of which turns into more than a one-night stand. Turns into a baby? It sounds like, based off the synopsis, that it's like two or three or four or five nightstands, not just a one nightstand. But, like, that's a way to react to that information. So you said the one nightstands. I'm like, this sounds like a book you would enjoy. And then I was like, oh, never mind. Well, like, I don't like all the sex, but, like, I like the idea that, like, oh, he wants to have an open relationship. I'll show him an open relationship. Right. This will be the openest relationship anyone's ever seen. Because that's how my brain works, and that's what I would want to do. So, like, get it, girl. You want a reaction? Here's my overreaction. Yes. (laughs) What are you saying? Right. As for what I have been reading, this week I read Sleeping Giants by Sylvain Nouvelle. It's a 2016 release, an adult sci-fi novel told through prose as well as after-action reports, interviews, and diary entries. I rated this four stars. In this book, a girl named Rose falls into a hole and discovers a giant metal hand. Later on, she grows up to become a physicist in order to discover the secrets of the metal hand. Will it be the instrument of lasting peace or a weapon of mass destruction? And as much as this one reminded me of Hank Green's book at first, like alien technology comes to Earth. I was going to say, literally, they're studying the hand from that book, like right. that's what it came across as to me. It definitely isn't anything like that. This one is a much more scientific based story and a militarized story versus Hank Green's more like personalized, humanized yeah. story. But I enjoyed it a lot, but I felt like this slight disconnect between the reader and the characters because you're going through like basically paperwork to find the story. And so. You just don't have that sort of connection with the characters. I also found that because it's A, in the real world, but B, told the way it is, the setting isn't really a thing. Like, you have to imagine a lot of things for yourself unless parts of it are explained because they have to build a lab, so they're discussing building the lab. But otherwise, a lot of this is just you filling in what you know from science fiction novels or movies that you've seen. Got it. I'm pretty sure I actually rated it 3.75 stars, but I put four stars on Goodreads now that I'm thinking about it. Just rounding up. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Well, Goodreads doesn't do fractions, and I get why, but at the same time, I feel like it'd be pretty easy to do. Yeah. And then I squeezed in Teen Titans Raven by Cami Garcia and Gabriel Piccolo. It's a 2019 release and a YA graphic novel. This one I rated 3.75 stars as well. It's a Teen Titans graphic novel, and I have zero experience with Teen Titans. Like, I don't know anything about them or anything. All I know is from reading Teen Titans Raven. So I went in with, like, nothing. So anything I say about this, take with a grain of salt. Because, like, I don't know what's canon and not canon and all of that. 
But in this one, Raven is a girl who loses her memories in the same accident that takes her foster mom. She goes to live with a girl and her mother in New Orleans who both seem to have some sort of powers of their own. And so she's working on recovering her memories and settling into this town and dealing with some problems she's starting to have because of her own powers and this necklace that holds her something or another. I did feel like at the beginning, like the first 60 pages of the graphic novel, I had no clue, like, should I understand what's happening? Should I be confused? Is it just a me thing because I don't know this world? Or is it like anyone who would go into it would feel the same? Probably a little bit of both. Right. Just to give you the best answer I can. And then the last thing I read was a new release that I was so excited for, Realm Breaker by Victoria Aviard. It came out in May of this year. It's an adult slash new adult fantasy novel. We see from perspectives of all ages, like new adult and adult perspectives. This one I rated 3.25 stars. So like it was good. It wasn't great. And this one's about a ragtag team that must come together in order to save the realm. Crane is the final descendant in an ancient lineage and the last hope to save the world from destruction. She's joined by a squire forced to choose between home and honor, an immortal avenging a broken promise, an assassin exiled and bloodthirsty, an ancient sorceress whose riddles hide an eerie foresight, a forger with a secret past, and a bounty hunter with a score to settle. And like that sounds really good, but my first problem is the world building just is not there in my opinion. And so I had to lean a lot on my own knowledge of fantasy as a genre as a whole in order to really get a picture of what was happening and where we were and all of this other stuff. So for me, I felt like if you aren't big in the fantasy genre, you shouldn't pick this one up because you have none of that like history of reading to lean on. And then my second problem is I felt like I should have felt more for these characters than I did. And the only two I even kind of cared about was probably just because they're in it from chapter one to the very end versus these other characters that get added on as the story goes. Gotcha. So you're attached to the OGs and then kind of everything else is just like, yeah, I could... Well, I spent the most time with those two characters and the rest of them, I didn't have as much time. But even then, I wasn't super connected to them because to me, it felt like the characters just weren't well-rounded. Got it. As for what I plan on reading next, I'm going to continue my Harry Potter reread with Chamber of Secrets. I'm also going to read a book from the anthology that I purchased at the beginning of the year that had 10 different rom-coms in them. Yeah. I'll be reading the third book in that anthology, which is Loved You Once by Claudia Y. Burgoa. This original book came out in 2020. In this one, it's a second chance romance that starts when a woman is summoned back to her hometown for the reading of her ex-father-in-law's will. And really, it's not like it's an ex-father-in-law. It's like her husband died. Gotcha. And so whatever you want to call that. And if I have the time, I'm going to read Blood Red Road by Moira Young. I don't think I'm going to end up finishing this because it's almost 500 pages and everything else I plan on reading is almost like seven. Yeah. But I did want to mention it because I didn't bring up Teen Titans before and I managed to read it. So I want to at least bring this one up this time. It's a 
2011 release and a YA dystopian novel. In this one, when a scavenger's brother gets taken, she goes on a mission to get him back. In this one, I I picked it up based off a recommendation, so I don't want to go into it knowing too much about it. It's the last book of my read it or leave it list that I made at the beginning of the year, so if I read this one, then I will have read or left all of the books on that list. It's pretty impressive. Well, not that impressive. There were only eight books on that list. But still, it's like eight books that you were contemplating not ever even reading, and you pushed yourself through it, so that's still a feat in itself. And I did also read the books that your mom gave me for Christmas, and I started a whole new project with the 40 books I want to read before I turn 40, so... You know, I I do projects, apparently. But it seems like it's really dense, and also I've been told that the dialect is weird, the way people talk. It's never fun. So it could be a problem, maybe not. It could be in, like, Old English or something like that, or Latin? Well, it's dystopian, so I feel like they're going to drop a lot of vowels and do a lot of weird things with language, but we'll see. I'm, I'm picturing, like, Mad Max- Fury Road, like that kind of landscape. I don't know if this society would be like that, but it's dystopian in the future. We'll see. Got it. But as for what you've been reading, you read the basically middle section of Renegades this past week, the middle third. Yeah, and like we kind of stated earlier in the sports episode for the week, we had a pretty screwball-y week, and boy, it made fun trying to read things. Yeah. Like, it seemed like every time I was about to sit down and do something, something else changed. Chaos. Yeah. But in the first third, we finished with Nova getting accepted into the Renegades, right? Right. And I think they were going to be doing the tour in like the first chapter back of the Renegades like headquarters. Is that right? I believe so. Which I really enjoyed seeing that. Yeah, you kind of see where like the top secret areas are and the not so top secret areas and the training grounds underneath the building. Well, and also, I didn't mention it the last time we talked about Renegades, but, like, I love also the people who are on Adrian's team. So you have Ruby, Oscar, Dana. So, like, it's not Dana, there's two N's. Okay. Maybe it's Dana with two N's. (laughs) I've been saying it Dana, so maybe that's me, I don't know. But I really like those characters, and they really feel like teenagers, especially Oscar. Like, that's a teenage boy that I'm reading. Like, he is very obviously a teenage boy. Yeah, he's just getting into his feelings for ladies and everything, and, like, just, it's... He thinks about food and the ladies all the time. Doesn't that sound like a teenage boy? Sounds like who I was as a teenage boy, so (laughs) I can completely understand that. But I like the Renegade's Tower and everything that they have in there. Specifically, like you said, the training area is really cool. Yeah. And I liked seeing all these other superpowers and these superheroes, even though we don't fully explore all of them. We also got to see Adrian give himself a tattoo for that uh, suppression beam that he did. Yes, yeah. And we also got to see his house that he lived in, what used to be the mayor's mansion. Yeah, where his two dads, like adopted dads, I should say, are taking care of him more or less. Yeah. Well, and I feel like the writer does a good job of building up, like, these settings in particular. So I can picture Renegade's Tower. I can picture the mayor's mansion and, like, the subway and all of that really well. 
uses the right descriptor words to really like put you in the place of what's going on, which I think is great. Another thing I liked about the tour she takes at the Renegades Tower is that like she is so very obviously jumpy because like she's never gone undercover before. So she's just expecting to immediately get caught over and over. Right. And so she's expecting everything that the people around her do to be about, aha, gotcha. And it never is. Right. It wasn't at all, like, not even sort of kind of about that. And she also gets upset about the gear she's given because, like, it's so much better quality than what she and her anarchist can find. Yeah. So she's like, I might have to keep the boots. I'm like, yeah, you should. They're good. Because they're real comfy. I know somebody kept some boots. All the boots. Yeah. Actually. And she's teaching her not only about that, but their communication system, which she didn't know about before. Based on the description of it, it sounds like it's supposed to be like a smart watch looking thing, except for like way more nondescript. Yeah. Like I would almost compare it to like the thinness of like a concert, like wrist bracelet thing. Right. I didn't realize how many chapters this part takes up. The stakeout takes up dense portion the tour takes up a dense portion yeah like when i tell you that there wasn't much going on when i was reading this there wasn't much going on when i was reading this like it was well it's not super actiony at this part of the series but it does a good job of laying the foundation of the world and world building which we know is important because like the middle books of harry potter clearly were like the same way for the ending books because like if you didn't have that you'd be like Oh, cool, things are happening. What's going on? Well, it brings in the reader in a way that you don't always get, like the books that I had a problem with this past week. Like, I could not settle into this world and dive into this world, and so I cared less. Yeah. And so, while this isn't super action-y, the part that you read, it did a lot of the fundamental things that you need to care. Yeah, and last, like, two and a half chapters were actually enough to keep me going. So, right. like, it's good. Mm-hmm. Like, the library scene alone is worth the suffering of reading through the other stuff. Yeah. And maybe suffering is a little too intense of a word. Like I was going to say that's a little harsh. The struggle of reading through some of the stuff. I, I would say, funny. as someone who doesn't read a lot, you, it is more difficult to get through the less actually sections. Right. Though I think we both enjoyed the part where she's sort of showing off in the underground area because Monarch is usually the one that does all the, like, surveillance. So she's quizzing Nova, well, how many exits and how many of these and how many of that? And she's just rasping them all off, like, immediately. And she's like, I know this many people's powers. Wait, now I know more. (laughs) And there are this many exits and this many... Security cameras and, yeah... There could be more exits if somebody had a power like this, and the list just kind of goes on and on. There are two fire extinguishers and five vending machines, one of which sells nothing but candy, which seriously has me questioning the Renegade's commitment to adequate nutrition, which we both laughed at. And it does have, like, this thing of humor running through it where it's not supposed to always be super serious nor is it always supposed to be super lighthearted, but there are moments of levity that sort of deal with, like, all the other serious emotions. And that's when she meets Max. So the reader has already met Max Max through Adrian's perspective, but Nova meets him, 
And he's just known as the bandit. And he likes to build this glass city in his thing. And she's very interested in all of that. She's more interested in the fact that, like, nobody seems to really want to spill the beans as to why he's there. Yeah, she wants to get to the grit of, like, who is this? Why are they locked up in a quarantine? What's going on? And also, she's told that Max is technically an honorary member of their team, which I thought was super sweet. Yeah. Because Max can't go out and patrol, but he's on their team. And that's when Max asks Adrian to draw an insomnia little figurine in glass. I was like, that's also so sweet. So he can recreate the qualifying of her being part of the teams in Renegades. Yeah. But all she really finds out about the bandit, Max, is his name, like the superhero name, the fact that he's sick, or technically dangerous and valuable. Like, that's all she knows. Yeah. Those were the most important things, at least. Yeah. And she sees them taking samples from him before they leave. And all she really knows is that it's classified. And classified is the word she's, like, on the lookout for because she wants to find out everything she can. For obvious reasons, obviously, collecting the classified information puts her in a lot better spot to possibly overthrow the renegades. Yeah. And that's when their first assignment is brought up. They're going to run surveillance on Cloven Cross Library, which is run by a guy named Gene Cronin. He used to run in a gang, but now he's been dealing illegal weaponry, possibly. They don't have any proof on that. That's why they're doing that. And because the gun that Nightmare used to try to assassinate Captain Chromium was bought from there. So they're going to spy on him. For obvious reasons. And that's when Nova takes that information back to the anarchist and tries to get them to come up with a plan to keep Gene Cronin from being brought in by the renegades. So the plan that she eventually works out with Ingrid is that... They're going to catch Ingrid going into the library, but then there's not going to be anything at the library. So they'll have a reason to go check, but they won't find anything. And then everyone will leave Gene Cronin alone to continue his His actual jobs, which is to bring weapons of illegal varieties into the city. Yeah. Kind of an important job if you plan on overthrowing something. that's, That's actually a pretty good plan that they come up with. I would agree wholeheartedly. I think that it was a good plan in itself. And then, as you find out later, it's... Not what happens. Yep. And Ingrid basically says, don't worry about it. I'll take care of everything. You just go report for duty and do your job with the renegades. Right. Which should have been a sign of something. That something was up, at least, in the slightest bit. Because Ingrid's kind of all about Ingrid. 100%. So, they set up in an abandoned office building across the street from the library. And they bring, like, pillows, blankets, games, candy, stuff to keep them awake. And Nova's like, so you guys have never done this before, obviously. Because all they brought is candy. And they're like, what? No, we're fine. We know what we're doing. And she's like, you're going to have a sugar coma, and you're going to pass out about three hours after you take that caffeine shot. Right. So, like... Good thing I don't fall asleep. Right. Or y'all would be screwed. Mm-hmm. But they do discuss powers, and they discuss the librarian's power is knowledge retention, and they discuss how they all ended up with their powers. And 
Ruby's story, I feel like, is the most traumatic of everyone's, like, origin story. I can kind of agree with that. Because her grandmother was a jeweler, and at one point after the government had fallen, basically, people were coming around to steal jewels, jewels, and they were attacking her and her family, and she ended up swallowing a bunch of rubies just to protect uh, to to try to protect them mm -hmm. and since then anytime she bleeds she's gotten these ruby weapons right not that that's crazy at all in any way shape or form though oscar's is pretty bad too because oscar technically died in a house fire and they were able to save him at a hospital and now he can do all of this smoke stuff which is pretty cool in itself, let's be honest. But he's also disabled, and he's, like, always had this, like, bone disability. And I thought it was neat that he was still allowed to be a renegade and patrol and do the job, even though he is disabled. Right. I also like that the disability has nothing to do with his origin story. Yeah, it was already there. Like, I was... Honestly, when we started going into his story, I was like, I wonder if we'll find out why he's got the limp. And then we found out, and I'm like, oh, it has nothing to do with his power. I'm like, okay, that's pretty neat. Yeah, he just says he has some rare bone disease. Yeah. And of course, we know that Sketch is just, ever since he's been drawing, it's just always been that way. Yeah, like crazy snake-looking things trying to bite people and stuff. Can you imagine being the parent of that child? It's supposed to be a T-Rex. Well, it just scribbles, and it's trying to literally bite me. What the heck is going on? Yeah. And of course, we already know Nova's origin story, but she has to like rework all of that to tell them. Right. But after they have this like sharing time. Yeah. Ruby and Oscar fall asleep and you do see like this kind of quieter moment between Nova and Adrian as they're watching the library from their lookout point. And she's looking at some of his artwork and discussing what she likes to do when she's not sleeping. You gotta find something, some kind of hobby, I would imagine, otherwise you'd go crazy. I know you, you'd just read books. I mean, look, there are too many books to read in my lifetime, even if I read 24-7, 365. So why wouldn't I? They talked about how she likes astronomy, talking about how she does training, and he's like, what are you training for? And she's like, this? Yeah. Because she can't say to be a villain. Right. But over the night, nothing really happens until the next morning. And even then, technically nothing else is really going on at that point. Like, they're getting ready to tear down and then, whoa, 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 I see someone. Yeah, Ingrid ends up coming into the library. And also, children have already come into the library before Ingrid, so they realize that the kids might be in danger. A busload of children. And so... It ends up that Nova has to kind of force them to go in because they're like, we don't really have a reason. And she's like, but what about the children? And they're like, you're right. Okay. Yeah. And they go in and they ask where the detonator is to the girl at the front counter. And they meet Narcissa. Yes. Whose which, power is to move through mirrors. I was going to say Walking through mirrors is definitely an interesting way to go about it. I feel like it'd be very creepy, though. Like, if she accidentally walked into the wrong mirror, like, goes in the wrong house. Oh, my bad, wrong mirror. So, like, I would be concerned if that was my power, that I would end up, like, walking in on, like, a very heavy set naked man for some reason. I'd be like, oh, Or God. you somehow turn up in Nocturne Alley. Yeah. 
That's I more likely as a Narcissa, though, I feel like. I feel like this one is a little too on the nose for superpowers because Narcissus was the one who got distracted by their visage in a lake or a pond, a pool of water, and they were in love with themselves. Yeah. So that's a little on the nose, but I'm still sure a it was, cool power. I was going to say, I'm sure it was done on purpose. Oh, yeah, for sure. But Narcissa is just confused, like... Nova's with the renegades, what is happening? And right. also, like, why would she be trying to get us in trouble if she knows what we do? I'll be completely honest that that scene right there as a whole, I was like, this is not going according to plan. <laughs> like, no, definitely. Because the not. fact that she was shocked to see that she was there, it was like, they were something not communicating is something. Wrong. And they end up talking to Jean, and Adrian's like, Are you the librarian? He's like, I am a librarian. Yeah. Ha ha. But they get him to take them down to the stacks, basically. Like, really close, close stacks. So they're starting in the basement to look for Ingrid. And they leave Smokescreen up with the rest of the library. And when they get down to the stacks, everything looks completely normal and fine. Until suddenly Ingrid comes out of nowhere and... There is a bunch of weaponry. Behind, like, a secret doorway, which was, like, just bookcases, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Like Basically, yeah. And Nova's like, this is why we can never win. Because, like, Ingrid took it upon herself to not warn Jean and Narcissa and just do whatever the hell she wanted. Yeah, I was a little shocked by this because I thought Ingrid was in it for, like, the long haul, like, for the victory of it all. And then when this happened, I was like, man, your personality is so trash. Well, and she just shows how short-sighted she is because she's like, I can take out Captain Chromium's kid and suddenly take out this whole team of renegades right here. And Nova's like, we could take out all the renegades, but you wanted to take out one patrol team. You're like wasting everything that we're trying to do 100%. Yeah. So it ends up... Leading to this giant fight, Ingrid's trying to take out Adrian, and Nova has to choose what she's going to do from here. And she chooses to try to save her whole mission and not just this one event. So she sides with the renegades to try to take out Ingrid. Right, because she's more worried about the big picture rather than just the temporary small battle victory. Yeah. And it's very close quarters, like you were saying, down in the basement, and it ends up causing stacks to fall over, a fire starts, and, like, it's just very bad, very ugly, very fast. And as you can imagine, a fire inside of a library is not something that you necessarily normally would want. Right. And when they get up to the main part of the library eventually after this conflict starts, Oscar's like, we're missing someone. Some child is missing. Yeah. And everyone else is out. And Nova ends up being the one to deal with Ingrid and place her under arrest, technically. And she basically goes around the corner of the building to chain her to, I don't remember what it was, a fence? The point of that didn't really matter more than the fact that she only chained one hand to it. Well, right. And she specifically does it in a way that Ingrid can get out of so that she can escape. Right. Like, you're an idiot. This shouldn't have happened. I had to shoot you and have to arrest you. I think the worst part about that scene is when she's trying to go back across the street to get back into the 
library. She has all the people, like, giving her hell about it, like... Why isn't Tsunami here? Why did this happen? Why blah, 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 blah? Are you going to take care of it? Where's this person? Like, if you shut up, maybe I can deal with something. Right. Just give me a chance. And, like, they're trying to tell her what she needs to do. And, like, how about you sit down and shut up? You're just a citizen. You're not any part of this. Like, I'm legit one of the renegades. Why are you questioning what I am doing? Right. Well, and this goes to this whole idea of people being too reliant on superheroes and, like, not thinking or working for themselves to try to better the city. Like, actively maybe having a fire department that can put out fires instead of just being dependent on water prodigies. Right. She ends up finding the kid around the backside of the building, goes, climbs up to get him out, and basically he does a zip line down to where Ruby and Oscar are waiting Right. But then she can't find Adrian, so she doesn't know what to do about that. But she also hears noise coming out from another room, finds the librarian and Narcissa trying to save the manuscripts and, like, the rare text. And Narcissa is yelling at her grandfather, they're just books. And I was like, they're not just books. And that is the moment, I believe, when the Sentinel arrives. And starts making offers for them to spill the beans on who Nightmare is. Right. You all won't get in trouble if you would just give up Nightmare. Who's Nightmare? While she's literally just sitting right there in the room with them. Like, yeah. it's like, come on now. And the fire gets worse and the building starts to collapse and they go to the building next next to it, I believe. It's the theater across the way. Yeah. And Ingrid ends up being up there with them. It's like... You could have gone anywhere. What are you doing? Well, she was part of the reason the wall caved in in the, like, private area, isn't it? Like the In the rare books area. area, yeah. She threw a bomb at them. But in the end, Ingrid shoots Gene to prevent him from giving up Nova's identity because it looked like he was going to. And to a degree, I can understand that happening and her choosing to do that. But, like, you about gave her up just now. Right. With everything that just happened in the library, why do you care? And she tries to also kill Narcissa because we can't just let her go. She'll give you up, blah, 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 blah. But Narcissa ends up escaping anyway through a mirror. I wonder how, like, long the ranges she can go between mirrors. If it's, like, just, like, a couple hundred yards, so it has to be within, like, another building nearby. Or if it's, like, I'm in China now. Here I am coming out the mirror. I don't know. That'd be really annoying if you could only go a couple hundred yards per mirror. I, I feel like it wouldn't be that bad because it would still be, like, way safer than just appearing on the street. Yeah. But she ends up picking up Ingrid's gun and goes to shoot the Sentinel. Because she's like, I don't know who you're working for. Just shoots him. That being after she already clipped Ingrid. Yes. Because Ingrid had dropped her gun. Nova picked it up, shot at her to seem like she was actually trying to get Ingrid, and then shot the Sentinel because the Sentinel wouldn't explain who he works for. Or why he was trying to get them to rat out somebody else. Like, he was just stonewalling her, basically. And when the Sentinel leaves, because he basically just flees, they end up finding out that they still haven't found Adrian, and he's probably trapped in the library. Probably. And so the... Council arrives, at which point they have to break the news that they don't know where Adrian is. But they already were hearing a noise. They were trying to get to it, yeah. I think, when the council itself arrived. But Shortly after the council arrives, they start hearing what sounds like an air horn. 
Yeah. And so they go around to where the noise is being made and ends up finding this half-melted igloo. And it turns out that Adrian had built up an igloo to protect him and also made a horn to attract someone's attention. With the poison dart pen that was loaned to him after he lost his pen in the fire. And basically they all realize how much trouble they've been in because the council is very upset with them, but they're going to talk about it later. Right. Which is always the worst when you're in trouble. We'll deal with it later. How about we deal with it now? And, you know, they've broken the news about what happened to Gene Cronin and everything else to the council. And as everyone basically breaks from that to basically go home and rest, Nova realizes that the anarchists are going to be in a lot of trouble. So she has to go down to the subway tunnels where they live to try to warn them or protect them or do something for them. Of course, first she hides her communicator cuff so in nearby. So tracking her, yeah. So that no one tracks her all the way back there. For obvious reasons, that would be bad. Yeah. And when she arrives, everyone is packing up all their stuff because they know they can't be here. And they basically put up a bunch of booby traps and stuff so that they can get a few minutes head start, possibly from the renegades, and blast their way out of one of the exits that they never use. And that's when there's a confrontation between Leroy and Ingrid about, this is your fault. You did this to us. You cannot move with us to Nova's house. You have to take care of yourself now. You're not one of us anymore. And, like, Nova feels bad because she feels like it's her fault that this is happening. She feels like if she hadn't gone on this mission with the Renegades, then she and Ingrid would be on the same side. Even though she does think that Ingrid was really stupid for doing what she did. Yeah, she definitely had it coming based on being expelled from the group just because that was a stunt that was, like, not supported by anybody but herself. So it's right. just like... And so short-sighted. Yeah. And so Leroy and Honey get into his car and go to her house to unload everything quickly and hide out. She decides to go back and pick up her communicator cuff and just wander around the city because no one's looking for Nova. It's true. And she's just having all of these conflicting emotions about what happened and how many people are going to die in her mission to bring down the renegades and just feeling torn and you know, knowing that Ingrid set off another war today between the anarchists and the renegades when they had l- been living okay together since the fall of the anarchist. Yeah, when, it was nothing perfect, but it wasn't that bad either. Yeah. She feels like if she was a villain worthy of the name, she would be with them instead of alone wandering the street on the rooftops looking over the city. But if she was a hero, she would be hurrying to help the renegades deal with anyone who was hurt or the cleanup effort or something. But she just feels like she's neither. Instead, she listened to the sounds of a city in distress and she did nothing, is how that chapter ends. Yep. It's definitely a a good ending. Like I said, two chapters, I feel like they really just were moving. Everything was moving very fluidly. So I also liked the igloo thing. I thought that was kind of funny. (laughs) I'm like, hey, let's be honest, if a building is collapsing, the igloo's not protecting you. Maybe it was a really good one. Plus, his power is about intention. It's not necessarily about the actuality of how that would work. So he had a steel-supported concrete igloo? Icy igloo. Yeah. In my mind, that's what it is. (laughs) But so far, honestly, I am enjoying the book. It's just a lot of middle stuff in the middle. Go figure. 
Yeah. I think as the series moves on, you might enjoy it more because it gets less foundation-y and more action-y. Good. I'm excited to see how you react to a couple things that happened at the end. Okay. I'm also super excited to see how you react to one thing that happens in the next book that I can't talk to you about, obviously. Well, considering I haven't finished the first book yet, you probably should leave the second book off the table so far. Probably. But make sure you guys are checking out all of our social media in the meantime. It will be linked in the show notes. And we'll catch you next Tuesday for more sports. And broken hearts. We'll catch you next time, guys. Bye. Bye.